Thank you, Cliff. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we come around this passage this morning. Lord, as Paul requested prayer, I ask for that as well. As my words, as my mouth is open, that your words may be given me, that I may declare your word fearlessly, with passion, with love, with boldness, with conviction of heart, that in all things we would be built up and we'd be drawn uh, to a deeper relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I came across this prayer. It read, so far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really thankful for that, God, because so far, so good. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? As you put your foot on the floor each morning to start your day, are you struck by the thought of how desperately you need God's help? Jim Zimbala reminds us, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for His power. We have been zeroing in on the spiritual armor Piece by piece. And everything about this armor says action. The soldier readies himself. He adjusts his war belt. His heart pounds under his breastplate. He digs in like a a football player with his cleats. He picks up his shield and and he places it over his body in anticipation of the fiery darts being fired his way. He repositions his helmet and he gingerly tests the edge of the sword's blade. He is ready. As the enemy approaches, the soldier hears the sound of swords being removed from their scabbards. The enemy comes closer and closer. he's, He's approaching the soldier and the soldier does an amazing thing. He falls to his knees and deep profound prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, armor on, ready, set, pray. Pray. Please don't go out into the battle fully armored yet without the backing of prayer. The putting on of the armor is not something that we can do independent of him. Prayer holds it all together. Prayer keeps the main thing the main thing. As John Bunyan so aptly put it, he said, You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We can only move forward as a church on our knees. We can only live this Christian life on our knees. A man and a guide were climbing the Weisshorn in the Swiss Alps. 
It was stormy and they were making their climb on the sheltered side of the peak. When they reached the summit, they were filled with the exhilaration. The novice climber to the Alps forgot about the fierce winds and he, and he leaped up and he was nearly blown over the edge to the glacier below. And the guide grabbed a hold of him and he said, On your knees, sir. You are safe here only on your knees. Notice with me Paul's words in Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18, it's a continuation of thought from verse 17, reminding us to take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And so Paul says, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit. By that, Paul means that the Spirit of God helps us to pray. To pray in the Spirit is to pray according to God's will. I remind you of last week's piece of the armor, the the sword, which is the word of God. It is through prayer that the Holy Spirit wields his sword. It is by knowing the word of God that we can more effectively pray in the will of God. Let's continue with the verse, Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In other words, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. It doesn't mean we do nothing but pray, sitting in our prayer closets, hands folded, eyes closed, praying. It's not what we're saying. But it's to always be in an attitude of prayer. So whether we're doing the dishes or driving in the car or walking the halls of the school, on a job site, in an office, on a roof, in the hospital, wherever we may be, we can have communion with the Lord. We can be looking up. And we can pray prayers of thanksgiving and confession and intercession and adoration and meditation. All kinds of prayers and requests, Paul says. All kinds. One little boy came up to the pastor after the service and said, Hey, you know, my mom prays for me every single night. And the pastor said, Oh, really? What is it she prays? He said, Thank God he's in bed. (laughs) That's one kind of prayer. There's more than that. All kinds of prayers and requests. Paul goes on to say, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. What is that saying? That we ought to keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking with perseverance and prayer for one another. Why? Because there is an enemy desiring to ruin this marriage over here. There is an enemy desiring to destroy this family over here. Because there's an enemy desiring to rattle this new believer over here. Or take down this leader or mess with this life over here. We need to be praying for each other. And Paul is not above asking for prayer. He goes on in verse 19 to say, pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The great apostle who by our own estimation would be considered a giant in the faith asked for prayer. Prayer for courage. Prayer for wisdom. Pray for boldness. In essence... What Paul is asking for, he's asking that that they would pray, that he would stick 
with the gospel to the end. We need to be praying this for each other. That we stick to the gospel to the end. For any one of us, myself included, can get off track spiritually and finish poorly. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the greater the risk of shifting our dependency from the Lord to other things. As an example of this, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to the Old Testament here. As you're making your way back, go past the Psalms, and you'll find 2 Chronicles in there. Not right after it, but shortly after it. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and for the time remaining, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament here that speaks to this. It is the story of Asa. This great grandson of Solomon takes up three chapters in the book of 2 Chronicles. Asa comes out of the starting gates of his kingly reign in very strong fashion. He sees the sinful debris among the nation, junk that they should not have been comfortable with as God's children. And, and, and he does something about it. Asa cleans house, ridding the land of immorality. Asa was serious about pleasing God. I mean, he even busts his own grandmother. He calls the people to obey God and seek him. Seeking God was so much a part of his life that when attacked by the Cushite army, he did not panic. He instinctively called on God. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. 2 Chronicles 14, 11, it says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Do you hear what this is saying? Asa had an army, but the strength of his army was not the decisive thing. Asa was a competent leader, but his competence was not the decisive thing. The decisive thing was seeking after God, trusting and hoping in Him alone. Verse 12 of chapter um, 14 says that the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. In other words, everything Asa did had the stamp of God's approval on it. Asa knew success. All of Asa's success was built upon one thing, seeking after God. This is how he made it to the top. We see it again in chapter 15, verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 12. It says, They entered into covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. Go down to verse 15 of chapter 15. All Judah, required, all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Now, why did the people enjoy a time of relief and rest? Because they followed the example of their leader and they sought God eagerly. Don't miss it. All of Asa's success was built upon seeking after God, depending on him. That, my friends, is true of us as well. That's it. That's the recipe. 
That's the formula for success as a church by God's definition of success. Depend on Him. Seek after Him. It's not that complicated. That's it. Now, don't you wish that Ace's story ended right here? We come to a turn of events in chapter 16, if you know anything about Asa's life. King Baasha builds a fortified city in Ramah, which was north of Judah. The king's intent was to monitor his own people who might go to Jerusalem. King Baasha's hope was to control access to Asa's land and to launch an attack on Judah. And Asa legitimately feels threatened by King Baasha. Now, how does Asa respond to this threat? The text tells us in verse 2 of chapter 16 that Asa dips into some temple money. He buys off the fickle Ben-Hadad who switches alliances and he goes to work for King Asa. In other words, money talks. But something's missing here. What is missing from Asa's life? From how he approaches this battle compared to other battles? I mean, Asa strategizes. Asa buys off the king of Aram. He thinks up a political solution. He cleverly devises a plan that will get King Baasha off his back. But you know what? His plan works. All is well. I mean, if it comes out okay, if it works, if I'm happy now, then it must be the right right way to go. Right? God must be in it. Wouldn't you say? I mean, if some technique fills this sanctuary, if some strategy gets a building built, if a million copies are sold, if people experience a spiritual high, if the plan works, then it must be of God. Right? Well, while Asa and his leadership team are giving high fives to each other, And drinking over their success, in walks Hanani with a message from God. All is not well. God is not pleased. Now, folks, don't be fooled into thinking that just because you're enjoying a a, a season of success that God is in it. Don't believe that just because something worked out okay in the end, that it means that the means for getting there honored God. Don't buy the lie. That just because something works, that it must be the way to go. Hanani the prophet pulls no punches here, and he says at the end of verse 9 of 2 Chronicles 16. Look at the end of verse 9, the very end. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. What's the foolish thing? Not relying on God. Wrong dependency. It is a foolish thing to put our trust in anything or anyone other than God's. Let's not commit Asa's folly. Now, why is it such a foolish thing to stop seeking God and lead a life of prayerlessness? That's the question. Why is it such a foolish thing to stop seeking God and lead a life of prayerlessness? Three reasons given in our text. The first reason why it is foolish is because God has proven that when we trust him, he will show up. Because God has proven that when we trust him, he will show up. Follow along as I read verse 7 of chapter 16. 
He says, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. In other words, Asa, what you're experiencing right now is not real success. The success that God would have given you would have been far better than what you are experiencing. He would have given Asa and Judah the entire army of Aram. Asa settled, get this, Asa settled for far less than what God desired because he did not seek the Lord. Do we? I wonder, how often do we miss out on the greater blessing and settle for something far less because we did not pray? God had proven to Asa in the past that no matter the size of the army, no matter the bigness of the problem, God is bigger and capable of delivering him. When Asa in the past relied on God, he saw the hand of God. He saw that God showed up. Look at verse 8. He says, We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a mighty army, with great numbers of chariots and horsemen, yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. God powerfully intervened in his life. And prayer reminds us that we need something beyond what man can do. That no matter how much talent you have, how many diplomas hang on your wall, how long you've been a Christian, how how ready or how, how competent you think that you are, how successful you are, you need him. I do too. There was a young president of a company who instructed his secretary not to disturb him because he had a very important appointment. And he went inside his office and he shut the door. Someone from the board entered the secretary's desk and said, I need to see Mr. Jones. The secretary answered, I'm terribly sorry. He cannot be disturbed right now. He has a very important appointment. Well, the impatient board member ignored the secretary's words and opened the door of the president's office. And as he did, he saw the president of his corporation on his knees in prayer. The chairman, somewhat embarrassed, softly closed the door and asked the secretary, I saw him on his knees in prayer. Is is that usual? Oh, yes, she replied. He does that every single morning. To which the board member responded, well, no wonder I come to him for advice. A Christian surgeon known to be a praying man was asked, does prayer help you before or after surgery? He answered, during. (laughs) During. What area of your life do you and your own competence kind of squeeze God out? Perhaps the results around you are only indications of what man can do. Let's pick up our prayer lives a notch or two and see what it is that God can do. When I step up to this pulpit, you do not need another man-made thing. You might see that all week long. You need more than what any man can do. What you need, what I need, is a supernatural thing, and that is what prayer does. And we trust him in the midst of the battles of life. He's going to show up. It's a foolish thing to rely on myself and my resources. It's a foolish thing to trust in anyone or anything other than God. Because he's proven time and time again. When we trust him, he'll show up. 
There's a second reason it's a foolish thing to stop, stop seeking God, and that is because God stands ready to show off his power. Because God stands ready to show off his power. It's a foolish thing not to seek God. He stands ready to show off his power. Look with me at the first half of verse 9. Great memory verse right here. Verse 9 of chapter 16. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The very nature of God is that he is eager to show off his power on behalf of those who are fully committed to him. God's eyes are everywhere always so that he never misses one single opportunity anytime, anywhere to show off his power. This is not something he does on the weekends. This is not something he does only in church on Sundays or or in other holy places. This is not his hobby to show off his power or after hours recreation. This is what God is doing all the time. His eyes are now still looking across this land, across the U.S., across upstate New York, across the hill towns, ready to demonstrate his power on behalf of someone, anyone who will passionately seek him, totally rely on him and not man. His power. He's looking for an opportunity to show off his power on behalf of people at First Baptist Church of Wesselow. He's ready. I'm not saying he hasn't done it already. He has. He's got more to show. Are you interested? Are you that someone? Are you ready to sign on? God wants to manifest himself in powerful ways. Do we believe that? I mean, do we believe that? Better ask myself that this, this week. Do I really believe it? When a nightclub owner in a small town, the members, uh, he opened up a, in a small town, this, this owner decided he was going to put a nightclub in there, and the members of the local church were strongly opposed to this. So they began to pray that God would intervene some way around this new nightclub. Well, wouldn't you know it, one night, only after a few days the nightclub had been in business, lightning hit the building and burned it to the grounds. The owner of the nightclub, hearing about this church's prayer efforts, sued the church, contending they were responsible for the burning of the building. At the preliminary hearing, the church denied responsibility. And after hearing both sides of the case, the judge remarked, I don't know what my decision on the matter will be, but it seems that the nightclub owner believes in prayer while the church does not. (laughs) Do we believe that God is powerful enough to stop a business from continuing? Do we believe That as we gather in prayer, that God can knock down and rise up whatever he chooses. Do we believe in the power of God that drives us to more fervently pray for the impossibles of life? Who knows what God can do when we come to him in prayer? Now, that doesn't mean we try and force God's hand to adjust God to come our way. Like the student who knew he put the wrong 
uh, answer on a question of the test. As he passed in his test, he prayed, Oh God, please let Paris be the capital of England. It, God's not going to change that. Okay, you understand? We don't twist his arm to come our way. But prayer should be at the core of all that we do as a church and as individuals because that's where the power is. And like Asa, we're tempted to abandon prayer as a viable activity and try getting the results ourselves. That's foolish. God stands ready to show off his power. There's the third reason I need to get to this, that it's a foolish thing to stop praying, stop seeking the Lord. The third reason is that God is eager to help the powerless. God is eager to help the powerless. It's foolish not to seek God. He's eager to help the powerless. God delights in our calling on him. Proverbs 15, verse 8 says, The prayer of the upright is his delight. He gets a kick out of it when you come to him in prayer. What would that do to your prayer life? To know that every time you called on the creator of the universe, he enjoyed it. Might get me a little excited about praying. That we bring a smile to his face when we pause tomorrow, today, to pray. Now Asa hears at the end of his rope, his life goes from bad to worse. I can't get into all the details of this. I wish I could tell you. That Asa came to his senses, he fell to his knees, he took ownership of his wrong dependency, he asked for God's forgiveness, he, he returned to his fervent faith of his earlier years and finished well. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that because Hananiah did the right thing and spoke the truth in love that Asa welcomed it and there was a change of heart. I wish I could say that. How does this man of God respond? Verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 16 says that Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The one who earlier had the people seeking the Lord now takes his frustration out on them. And he becomes a cold-hearted oppressor. Asa acted foolishly by not relying on God, and he goes into a tailspin. He never pulls out of it. Verse 12 reminds us that even in his illness, he did not declare dependence upon God. Not even in his illness. Instead, he puts his trust in other things. See, his wrong dependency and stubborn denial of his own powerlessness went with him to his grave. And Asa is one another example of a sad ending. It's been said, you're not a fool because you've done something foolish, but only if the folly of it escapes you. If you've done a foolish thing, don't let the folly of it escape you. Go to your knees in the Lord. Don't commit Asa's folly. What is sobering about this story to me is that even a heart that is committed to God is capable of doing a foolish thing. And I, like you, am one step away from the slippery slope of sad endings. One step that all begins with wrong dependencies of not seeking God. And folks, it's subtle. It is so subtle. Asa reigned for 41 years. He had 35 good years in which he followed God, hoped in him, and relied on him for help. 35 good years. Something happened in the 36th year. 
And likely Asa was still attending the Sabbath worship services. Likely Asa was participating in the feasts and the celebrations. Likely he continued to give lip service to Yahweh God, praising him for his acts of deliverance. He was still serving him, but God was gone out of his life. And frankly, that scares me. Because I can go to church, I can spend time with God's people, I can place money marked within God we trust in the offering plate. I can attend meetings, I can serve him, yet slowly over time, edge God out of my life. And unless I miss my guess, Asa's life began to unravel as a sense of his need for God diminished. God is eager to help the powerless. And prayer in its most authentic form acknowledges that we are weak in need of him. In the classic book, Prayer, the author writes, nothing so furthers our prayer life as the feeling of our own helplessness. It is only when we are helpless that we really open our hearts to God. Now, you may recall the focus of the sermon when I candidated. (laughs) Dream on, Pastor Brian. Come on. It was from John 15. And the importance of remaining in Christ and that apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing of lasting value. Here we are, 15 months later, and the message is the same. Like Asa, we are in danger of a disease, the disease of wrong dependency. It's wrong dependency that keeps us from effective praying. It's wrong dependency that gets in the way of praying with power. So where's your trust? Where's mine? What are we hoping in for a good result? Can we identify any wrong dependencies? Be honest about that. Will you call upon him for every need that you have? Would you be willing to join me in resolving to pray more frequently with more regularity for the ministries of this church, for each other, to pray specifically that the eyes of the Lord would, be, would strengthen those who are fully committed to him? Will you be one who's fully committed to him? Where do we need to pick it up a notch in our prayer life? This isn't about guilt. Maybe maybe it means for you, between God, I need to start going to prayer meeting. Maybe it means for you that I need to go to fellowship of prayers when we have them. We're having one next Sunday night. Maybe it means that. Maybe it means I need to pray with my family. Or I need to gather around some other brothers. I need to gather around some other sisters. We need to pray. I don't know. I don't want to give the list. I don't want to lay the guilt. I want that to be between you and God. Where is it that he's asking you to seek him? Where is it? And where you need to pick it up. What is God calling you to around this area of your life? Because our future is determined by one thing. Dependence upon God. going to pray. Prayers of dependence quietly in your own hearts to the Lord. Offer prayers of dependence upon him. Perhaps you have your bookmark from last week and on one side you have about the word of God. Maybe there's something you flip that over on the other side. You want to say something about this is what it means for me. But please seek, it, seek God on this. Don't just knee jerk. Don't let it be an emotional response. Seek God on this area of your life. But ask him God, show me, where's my wrong dependencies? Let's pray. Then I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to read together a closing scripture. Okay? Let's pray together silently.
Lord, help us in expressing our prayers of dependence upon you. That we're seeking you, not man. Not the approval of others. But you only. Show us areas of wrong dependency. Show us where we need to go hard after you. Because we're letting it slip. I can let it slip like anybody else in this room. I'm not above that. I've let it slip. You call me to it. And help us, Lord, to know where it is that we need to really seek after you. May the response of our heart be from the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. For that's what will be lasting. Do that work in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.